1: Welcome to American Indian and Alaska Native Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. We are so glad to have each of you joining us for today's edition of the broadcast. We are speaking about a topic that has been generating more and more interest in the medical community, as well as among lay people, and yet it is something that often, well, doesn't rise to the radar screen. It's not being picked up in many discussions. To help us discuss a very important topic is Doug Siegel. Doug, it is great to have you with us.
2: I appreciate you having us, Dr. DeRose, and we're, uh, we're very happy to have an opportunity to discuss this issue.
1: Doug, you actually uh, are one of the co-founders of a foundation. It's kind of a, a mouthful for folks if they've never heard of it, but why don't you tell us what is the name, first of all, of the foundation that you helped establish?
2: Sure. It's called the Patrick Risha CTE Awareness Foundation. And it was founded in 2014 uh, after the passing of my wife's son, my stepson, Patrick Rishia.
1: Okay, you've already got us uh, engaged here. I mean, there's a, a powerful emotional story behind this. We already are sensing that. And you're talking about something called CTE awareness as a physician. I immediately recognize that abbreviation. There are other listeners that no doubt. Immediately, also are making a connection. But what does CTE in this uh, foundation stand for?
2: So the medical term is chronic traumatic encephalopathy, Um, and uh, we every time we mention CTE, uh, the best way for us to at least make some connection is the concussion crisis that we're experiencing in sports and in military and. In America.
1: Okay, so you got my interest because uh, I'm one of those people that has sustained a number of concussions. I know that's not a badge of honor or something that's putting me in good stead as I continue to get older every day. By the way, um, I think everyone recognizes that's the fate of all of us, uh, at least if we got out of bed this morning. So, Doug, Patrick Risha. Your stepson, tell us a little bit about why Patrick uh, enters into the story. Tell us a little bit about him and how this all relates to the topic.
2: Sure. Uh, Patrick started playing uh, football at the age of nine. He grew to love the sport. Actually, he was born into the sport. His father was a football player and a football coach. And uh, football was kind of a way of life in not only Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, but in the family. And Patrick just loved playing football. He loved everything about football and uh, started with the Pee Wee League, played junior high school. He was the high school champion of his team. Uh, his nickname was The Horse. He was a running back and a defensive back. And uh, the, his coach would say, Patrick's going to carry this team to victory. He, The first opponent never took him down. He was just a tough, strong, and devoted football player, uh, running back. He played uh, after high school. He graduated and played for Dartmouth University uh, for three years until I think he was unable to play in his senior year.
1: So this is, uh, definitely, you know, speaking to a lot of us. I mean, we're a society that definitely has a big focus on sports and activities. I mean, if you go back in Indian country, um, I remember some years ago being out, uh, in the Southwest and seeing the remnants of, um, the Hoakum peoples and some of the predecessors of tribes like, um, the Pimas, Tahana Adams out in the Southwest. Uh, the Hoakum people having these, you know, these big athletic, uh, fields, if you will, where they were playing, uh, sports. So this is something that, you know, isn't just a European invention. It's not just an American, uh, import. It's something that indigenous peoples, uh, engaged in. So competitive athletics have been something that have been around for centuries and centuries. And, you know, it's big business today as well as something like you mentioned in, um, uh, In the case of Patrick, that often is a passion for many uh, young people growing up. So you're definitely speaking to us about something that I think a lot of people can relate to. But just reading between the lines, just listening to what you're describing about Patrick, it sounds like something didn't go right, at least in his college years, when it came to his football career.
2: Well, that's true. And uh, Patrick, we talk about his football career, but he was a very complete individual. He was a brilliant student. He was a great brother to his sister. He was an all-around good guy and fun to be with. Karen saw signs of him starting to unravel in high school where he began to have a few issues. And, and there was one suicide attempt in high school. And that could be conflated with growing up and puberty and girls and parents trying to discipline a child and, you know, was quickly kind of attended to and moved on and went on to an Ivy League school, which was his dream. But as things evolved, he became more and more isolated. Uh, he had was uh, diagnosed with a hearing deficiency. Um, He became reclusive. So his personality and his beautiful outgoing personality began to change and nobody had heard of CTE or had a clue, any reason to believe what was going on with this young man.
1: So let's just stop in the story because I think the narrative that a lot of people have heard, and I alluded to this too, You know, I've had a number of concussions, whether it was you know, in the course of life, um auto, bad automobile accident. uh I played some sports in my day. So I can relate to this. We tend to think a lot of people, you know, this chronic traumatic encephalopathy, they think in terms of concussions. Um At this point in the story, I mean, has Patrick had some serious concussions? Did he end up just dazed for several days? Was he unable to play sports because of this. Can you tell us a little bit about what's happened up to the point where you're noticing these behavioral problems?
2: Sure, and if I may briefly make a distinction between concussions and CTE. Uh, Concussion is a brain injury and CTE is a brain disease, and we can talk a little more about that. But it wasn't until I had him at a car dealership a few years before his death and he was kibitzing with the car salesman, and the car salesman said, Patrick, have you ever had a concussion? He was talking about his football career. Mm-hmm. And Patrick said, I've never been diagnosed with a concussion, and I don't think I ever had one. And then he smiled and looked at the deal, and he said, but there is one game where I don't remember the second half of the game, and I scored two touchdowns, or so they told me.
1: Wow. Okay. Okay. So that is helping us to connect a few of the dots. But So we're not talking about someone who just has this history where you'd say, oh, this guy's going to be problems down the road. So help us a little bit more with the story. So he's having these behavioral issues. His personality has changed. No one's thinking of CTE. Where do things go from there?
2: So as things evolved for Patrick, there was increasing conflict in his life. People didn't seem to understand him. He told us, you know, people just don't understand me. Uh He became increasingly, I'll call it paranoid, but he thought everybody in Pittsburgh knew his every move every day. He, he mm. felt like there were a million eyes upon him. He was becoming symptomatic, and the symptoms of CTE are very numerous, but include depression, Anxiety, paranoia, and uh, suic- quick temper, explosive temper, um, and uh, forgetfulness and aggressiveness, and unfortunately, suicidal tendencies and thinking.
1: So, I mean, I'm listening to the story as a physician and as a parent, and, you know, trying to anticipate where this is going. Does it end up in suicide? Does. This take another turn. How do things play out in Patrick's life?
2: It did with Patrick, and it does with so many. Because, and we've come to realize um that it just gets to the point for people where they feel like there's no reason, or no, they just can't consider living another day. Wow. In Patrick's case, uh, I think he felt that was the best way for him and for the people that loved him to solve the problem because he knew that he was a challenge. He was struggling and he knew something was wrong. None of us knew about CTE at that point in time. Uh, And unfortunately, sadly chose the off ramp.
1: Now I agree with you. It's always a sad scenario when someone that we love takes that course I think we need to ask this question because you posed the question in a way that a lot of people pose it. They see suicide as a solution to their pain and, quote, the pain of their loved ones from the standpoint of loved ones. Was this a solution for you? Did you all feel relieved? I know it sounds like a stupid question, but, I mean, this is the logic that a lot of people use when they take their life. Do you want to speak to that for the benefit of others who may be at a similar crossroads?
2: Well, I don't think it would be fair to say it was a relief, but I think that if we had to do it all over again and know what we knew today, we would have approached the problem in 180 degrees. And what I mean Mm -hmm. by that is that parents are parents, whether they're step parents or mom and dad, and try to make a young man stand on his own two feet and get over it, whatever it is. Uh, and while CTE can be managed and symptoms can be remediated, the quality of life is not going to return to normal. There's, unfortunately, the brain is damaged beyond repair. It can be, it's not hopeless, but it's, it's, it's a real challenge. But if you don't know what you're dealing with, the tendency of a parent is to try to raise a child, whether he's 32 years old or 12 years old. And try to get him to put one f- foot in front of the other, maybe hit bottom and bounce back, or whatever it is that we d- might want to do to try to get him back and productive and, and self sufficient.
1: I appreciate your emphasis, Doug. So, what I hear you saying is two things. You know, one, we have to talk in this show about prevention. So, you know, we're definitely going there. You're raising awareness. That's the foundation, uh, at least the title of the foundation is the Patrick Risha CTE Awareness Foundation. So we're developing awareness for the condition. But I also hear you making a plea for diagnosis, going along with awareness, and the fact that although quality of life may be impaired for these individuals, I hear you between the lines saying there's hope, there's things that we can do, yes, just like the person who was in a bad auto accident, maybe a paraplegic doesn't mean they can't have a high-quality life. It's going to be different than what it was before this traumatic injury. And I, I'm making that analogy to the brain. Is that a fair analogy? Am I kind of hearing what I think you're saying under the surface there?
2: Yes, you are. And we've seen it uh, in numerous people where they've been you know, very symptomatic and seem to be on the edge of desperate acts and uh, a year or two goes by and with love and support and care where they're able to return to some semblance of a normal life and that's the hope that's a hopeful thing
1: wonderful we want to talk a lot more about this topic we've got insights that can help you if you know someone who's dealing with this condition we've got insights into diagnosis treatment but, uh, Doug, I know sometimes you know people are listening while they're traveling. They can't be with us for the whole hour. I know you've got a great website. Give us that before we have to step away for a break.
2: Sure. It's stopcte.org. That's stopcte.org.
1: Okay. If you haven't already heard it in Doug's story, uh, in Patrick's story... He wants to stop CTE, this uh, chronic traumatic encephalopathy. Remember that, stopcte.org. More information there, but a lot more information coming up on today's show. Don't go away. I'm Dr. DeRose. We'll be right back after this.
0: Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please reach out to us on the web. At aianl.org. That stands for American Indian Alaska Native Living. Again, aianl.org. Or you can call us at 1 800 775 HOPE. That's 1 800 775 4673. We'll be right back after this. We are strong, we are resilient, and we will get through this together. But these are stressful times, and it's important to also practice good self-care. It's normal to feel overwhelmed, anxious, or afraid. But there is hope. Reach out to someone. Connect with your friends. Stay in touch with your community. And know that you are not alone. Learn more at wearebroadcasters.com slash hope. Furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station.
3: When Jim died, I wondered if I would be able to keep the farm.
0: You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaska Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose.
1: Welcome back to American Indian and Alaska Native Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. My guest today is Doug Ziegle. Doug is the co-founder of the Patrick Risha CTE Awareness Foundation. And if you've not been with us from the top of the hour, Doug has uh, shared with us a, a very moving story. A son, stepson in this case, but a son nonetheless, athlete, scholar, wonderful guy. Personality starts to change, and what the uh, evidence ultimately pointed to was something called CTE. Doug, as you were telling the story, you said no one had chronic traumatic encephalopathy on their radar screen. And for our listeners, encephalo refers to the brain, pathy disease. So it's a disease of the brain caused by cumulative or chronic trauma, the effects of it. When did this diagnosis actually uh, come onto the radar screen, if you will?
2: Well, most famously in 20, was it 2010 or 12 when Dr. Amalu, Bennett Amalu was doing some work in Pittsburgh at the medical examiner's office and diagnosed the brain of Mike Webster, who is a, one of the iron curtain uh, on the Pittsburgh Steelers, pretty famous player in Pittsburgh and found him to have chronic traumatic encephalopathy which was kind of one of the early discoveries. But chronic CTE goes back to the 20s, and it was called punch-drunk syndrome. It, it mm. was the disease that boxers were getting loopy, and, and it's been around for many, many decades, but really was never identified with collision sports.
1: So we're making this connection now. You're saying, bring us back a few years because Patrick took his life in, was it 2014? Yes. And uh, you're talking about an autopsy that was done on that football player, Mike Webster, somewhere around 2010, 2012. Is my chronology okay?
2: Yeah, it actually was 2006. Okay. Yeah, it was actually earlier than that.
1: OK, so even though that was known in the medical community and there was already, you know, discussion taking place, it really didn't enter into the Ziegel family's dialogue until, is it safe to say that, I mean, did Patrick have an autopsy? Did they make a firm diagnosis or did you just kind of connect the dots after the fact?
2: The diagnosis can only be made through autopsy and the answer is Yes. It just so happens that Patrick's sister was very good friends with a newscaster in Pittsburgh who had just done a story on CTE and was aware of the discussions surrounding CTE and football and suggested actually just months before Patrick passed that maybe his symptoms were due to CTE. So we had a very slight glimmer of awareness um, amidst the turmoil of of life. And then after he passed, we were very fortunate in being able to get his brain uh, autopsied and diagnosed.
1: So we talked a little bit earlier in the show about this common, at least from my vantage point, and with the, you know, lay press and with the patients that I see, I think a lot of people connect Concussions with CTE. The idea goes both ways, you know. If you've had concussions, maybe you're at risk for problems, but it also goes the other way. People don't think uh, that there's any danger to what we would call sub-concussive injuries. You've been keeping up on this uh, topic uh, because your foundation is focused on it. Tell us a little bit about it. is that a true dichotomy? I can someone who's listening right now to say, ah, oh, hey, just Never had a concussion, even though I played contact sports for years. I'm off the hook. Is that a fair conclusion?
2: So top line is the brain is much more fragile than any of us have realized throughout history. Um, we were hunters and gatherers, and we really didn't start bashing our heads until recent history. But concussions are bad. No, there's no good brain injury, but concussions are bad, and that's, a, that's an injury, a concussive injury to your brain. Um, and people can have a concussion falling on the ice just going out to get in the mail, and they can come back to live a perfectly fine life. If the concussion has time to resolve, it will, in most cases, resolve. Maybe not 100%, but 99%. But let me unravel, if I can, what sets the stage for CTE. And we'll just take football. There's a million uh, ways to get repetitive subconcussive trauma. Subconcussive means less than a concussion, but more than kind of just the normal movement of the brain and the skull. So I'll make an example. Little Billy plays football at Friday Night Lights, right? He's the running back for the high school football team. He takes 100 hits in the game. His brain is slightly inflamed. He's the hero. And Sunday, Sunday dinner, the family's saluting him. Tuesday is practice again. He takes a few hits in practice because, unfortunately, kids are still hitting each other in football practice in the lower grades. That keeps the inflammation going. They practice on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Friday night is Friday night lights. More inflammation. And that repeated cycle of inflammation doesn't allow the brain to resolve itself. If he took those hits on Friday night and didn't play football for the rest of the season, there's a good chance that that would resolve. But that Mm. accumulation of repetitive hits, and again, whether it's football or any other source of uh, impact like that, uh, sets the stage for the development of this horrific disease.
1: So, you know, we've been speaking, you know, you've mentioned a few other examples of other sports. I mean, you alluded to boxing you know, in the punch-drunk syndrome, I mean, I don't think anyone has any question about whether a boxer is receiving concussive or sub-concussive blows during a match. But what about other things that may not be on the radar screen? Are there other sports, other activities where we're seeing this connection between basically the activity and CTE?
2: Well, if you look across the array of sports, there are a lot of great and safe sports to play. Uh, but th- it comes in all areas. We did a program with stunt doubles, uh, that are doing stunts that are, mm-hmm. you know, and they repeat, oh, they, they'll take 20 times for the hockey player to fall on the ice and smash his head. That's repetitive trauma. We see cheerleaders with the gymnastics that they're doing. And learning those spins and jumps and gymnastic cheerleading requires a fair amount of bumps and bangs. And we see brain issues with cheerleaders. Uh, We talk about hockey, uh, checking uh, in hockey and the the roughness that ensues. Uh, Heading the ball in soccer from our world is unthinkable and it's being taken out in the lower grades, but it really needs to go away throughout soccer. We just can't use our head that way. In the military, there's a force called blast overpressure. And when soldiers are not only training for combat, but training for breaching, which is blowing doors open, or firing heavy munitions, they're experiencing blast overpressure, which can set up the same subconcussive trauma as, as an actual collision on a football field. So the more you think about it the more trauma is being injected into our lives and that's what we that's part of the awareness that we really have to grow
1: so i hear a big part of your work in the foundation is just letting people know that the brain is fragile that there's a lot of things that we do without thinking about it that may be putting us at risk uh for long term complications what about speaking to those who may have had a history of whether it's the sports, whether it's a, a job that's involved this, uh, as you mentioned with the, the stunt doubles, I think we could think of other lines of work where people may be exposed to various levels of head trauma. And uh, how does someone who's wondering or a family member, they're saying, you know, my loved one seems to have lost a certain edge. Where do they go? Where do you point them if they have a question about this condition?
2: Well, that's a good question. And the research is moving at a pretty rapid pace and there are diagnostics being developed that can help look at brain issues. CTE is as yet is not diagnosable in life. It's only diagnosed post mortem in an autopsy, but there's research coming where there are biomarkers being seen and, and some promising imaging techniques that may get us closer. And we can see white matter distortions. You can see changes in the brain, which can say that's a very good indication, but not proof that this disease is developing.
1: So what I hear you saying then, although it's an evolving area, a lot is happening in CTE, chronic traumatic encephalopathy research, we definitely, if we have a family member who we even suspect of dealing with some of these things, Maybe the first place we start is with a mental health professional. I mean, if they're showing signs of paranoia or anxiety, is that a reasonable first step?
2: That is, um, yes. But it's a challenge because getting Pops to admit that he's getting a little loopy is a big challenge.
1: No, granted, we've got to talk more about this, Doug. We do have to uh, step away just briefly I'm talking with Doug Ziegel. He is uh, focused on helping you and uh, basically the whole world understand more about CTE, what we can do to prevent it, what we can do if we pick up on it early. We've got more coming up in our second half of the show. It'll be coming up right after this.
0: It used to be that any able-bodied person would offer to assist a police officer in danger. Now, passers-by are more likely to take a video. There's a better use for your phone when an officer's in trouble. Call 911. Tell the operator where you are and what you see. Then, start your video to provide evidence later. To learn more about how you can assist law enforcement, visit nationalpolice.org. That's nationalpolice.org.
4: Unlike other health concerns... Mental illness is not always easy to see. Depression won't show up on an eye chart, and you can't measure it on your bathroom scale. Sorting out a mental health concern is not something to attempt on your own. You won't find a bipolar disorder by looking at a thermometer. Like many other health conditions, help for mental illness takes professional diagnosis and treatment. Anxiety won't just go away under a stick-on bandage. So the sooner you seek treatment, the better. If you or a loved one has a mental health concern, don't go it alone. Find out what to do. For 24-hour free and confidential information and treatment referral, call 1-800-662-HELP. Learn more at samhsa.gov support. That's S A slash support.
2: Using meth taught me everything about freedom, only not like you think. It taught me how easy it is to lose your freedom. If you think meth is taking control of you, ask for help. You have the power to be truly free. I know. I'm Jan, and I'm free from meth.
4: If you or someone you know is struggling with meth, call 1-800-662-HELP for 24-hour free and confidential treatment referral. Learn more at samhsa.gov meth.
0: You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaskan Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose.
1: Welcome back to American Indian and Alaska Native Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. We're in the second half of today's show. We're speaking about chronic traumatic encephalopathy. If you're just joining us, we're looking at what can happen to the brain if it is exposed to, well, large traumas over time or even small traumas cumulatively, how those can add up and take an extreme toll on the brain. We started with the story of Patrick Risha and uh, how CTE basically caused his life to go into a spiral, which ultimately ended in his tragically taking his own life. His stepfather, Doug Ziegle, is the co-founder of the Patrick Risha CTE Awareness Foundation. Doug, um, how did it all come about that you started the foundation?
2: I guess when you experience uh, what our family experienced, you have two choices, um, which is to kind of just hide away and, and lick your wounds or what we came to the realization was we had no idea. I think parents want to do the best for their children, you know, as we did raising ours. And we just didn't know if we had known we would have conducted ourselves and, and guided our children entirely differently. But we didn't. And we felt mm-hmm. that other families shouldn't suffer the same fate. If parents are armed with the right information, they'll ninety 99 percent of the time, they'll do the right thing. So that was kind of the basis. And let's take this tragedy and turn it into something good for humanity.
1: Tremendous. I so appreciate that spirit. And I know you have not only set up the foundation, but you have a very helpful website. Tell us again what that website is and why my listeners may want to visit there.
2: It's uh, stopcte.org, and it's a very robust website that's being constantly maintained by the foundation. And it has just a, a ton of information. There's a couple of interesting things for somebody that may be having issues. One is, you know, how to talk to your child. Like if mm. kids coming unwired, there's a different dialogue that should take place and people have found that most helpful. There's a healthcare navigation form. Imagine this. So if you're banged up and having health issues, mental health issues, and you want to go see a practitioner and you're one, but what is it like just to get your car in his parking lot on time, you know, to find your way to the doctor's Mm. office, find the office, which floor is it on, second floor or third floor, and you walk into the waiting room and you sign in and they hand you a clipboard with five pages of things to fill out and you're struggling, your executive function may be very, very diminished. And uh so we created a healthcare navigation form that we designed. It's a multi-page form that you can do at home with your loved one, your helper, and uh, have that with you before you go, which answers all the basic questions that are needed and also guides the doctor a little bit to say, When you have a patient like this, maybe the lighting needs to be lowered or close those blinds because the sun is blasting in and light is damaging. And maybe the radio, you know, the music in the waiting room should be a little different or questions should be asked in a different way. So we've gotten great feedback on this forum, which we created, and it's being shared. There's uh, Facebook support groups. Uh, There are links to that on our website. And also the helpline, the Concussion Legacy Foundation has a helpline, and there's a link from our website to there. So there's a lot of real-time helpful things for people who think they may have some issues or are dealing with issues.
1: Great. I've taken note of this. It's stopcte.org. So stopcte.org. That is uh, the website for the Patrick Risha CTE Awareness Foundation, and uh, I do want to encourage you, if you've been listening to the show, to jump on the website. I've been there. You'll find a lot of helpful information like you heard Doug describing. Doug, I think one of the things that keeps all of us going if we're interested in helping the health of communities, I mean, that's what American Indian and Alaska Native Living Radio exists for. I know that's what your foundation exists for. One of the things that we thrive on is getting feedback, um, hearing that we're helping people, hearing that we're making a difference. Your foundation has been around for a while. Are you getting some encouragement? Are you hearing from people that what you're doing is making a difference for them?
2: Yes, we are. And also from the, I'll call it the industry, where we have received some awards for our efforts um, or some acknowledgement from the folks in the medical community But we see an increasing participation in the website and, you know, while we don't necessarily get direct praise, um, the interactions for us are what's necessary or what's so helpful.
1: Tell us some more stories, either stories that illustrate things that motivate you, stories that encourage you, stories that will bring us uh, back kind of into this focus of why this topic is so important.
2: Well, as I said, David, we, I think, evolved more as hunters or in gatherers that our physiology wasn't designed to have our heads hit. And, you know, if you think about a woodpecker or a ram, you know, they can butt their heads or peck at insects in a tree all day long and somehow they can fly away and function the next day. We're not that way. We didn't know that. Our biggest fear raising our kids in sports, especially collision sports, was orthopedic. Spinal Mm -hmm. injury being the top of the chain of worry. If he breaks his arm, it would be terrible. If he breaks his back, it's a nightmare. No, the nightmare is if you break your brain. And we currently have a whole industry in our, our society is really geared toward Proving our manhood or womanhood through excelling in sports and academics. Academics are supposed to develop our brain, yet we name our uh, learning institutions after the mighty Panthers or Bulldogs or snakes or whatever we call them. And we have these collision sports that are destroying people's brains. We have 4.1 million people, children, playing tackle football today. And if only 20% of those people develop uh, mental symptoms, symptoms of brain injury, 4.1 times 20% is a lot. And we're pumping out brain damaged people into society at a rate we have no recognition of. And that's part of the awareness that we want to develop. And there's a lot of force against that because we all love life the way it is. Sundays are for football. This is what we do. We love to praise our team and hate the enemy. We love rivalry, and we love those big hits and the collisions and the beauty and majesty of football without recognizing the consequences. So that's one sport, and as we've discussed, there are so many, and we just have to sober up and look at this and say, we can't afford to destroy our children's brains. They're just too precious. They're born perfect. What are we doing? So maybe I got on a a soapbox there, but that's part of what drives us.
1: No, I appreciate your passion, and we've got folks from all walks of life who tune into the show, and some folks are just resonating with the, uh, some people would describe it as an evolutionary perspective on how creatures developed on planet Earth. I have a lot of people that... uh, gravitate to a, we call it more of a, a creationistic perspective. Uh, many Native Americans speak about their creator. And I think the, the argument's the same regardless of what your view of origins are. Some people want to make this a discussion about uh, some other topics that people generate a lot of heat about, but it doesn't matter whether you look at the human brain as something that was created by a, a loving creator designed for certain purposes, or if you... uh want to talk about evolution over eons. Uh, As far as what we're talking about today, I'm not saying these discussions are not appropriate in certain circles, but for what we're talking about, we are making the point that our brains, our cranium, our neck, the way we're structured was not designed for uh, trauma. And I do like the illustration of the ram and the woodpecker. I mean, yes, I mean, you can look at them and you can say these uh, creatures were designed to take impact with their head, but definitely not the human organism. So I think the point is well taken. I don't want folks to get hung up on how we describe why we think we are the way we are. (laughs) We're that way, regardless of how you want to explain it. So, Doug, I know that when we have these discussions, a lot of people say, well, you know, there's political overtones. there's, There's all kinds of things, you know, societal implications. You've touched on some of those. I don't hear you being someone who's trying to take people's uh, freedom away if some people want to couch it in that language, Uh, but I hear you saying when we make decisions that impact ourselves, impact our children, we want to be cognizant of what I hear you making a case for is really a largely silent epidemic. Is that safe to say that I'm picking up on your passion?
2: I think silent and I'd add insidious and epidemic for sure. The magnitude of which, if we can diagnose this disease in living people, uh, we'll see a tsunami. I fear that, but it's almost unavoidable from the amount of collisions that these kids and, and young adults and military people are enduring. We have 21, what is it? 21 suicides a day from, for in the military. Why is that? It's not all just PTSD where they have a psychological impact from seeing bad things. It's It could be brain injury, brain inflammation, and the concussive forces they endure.
1: And I think that's one of the tougher things for us to connect the dots with. You know, why is it that the brain injury then predisposes to mental illness? Is that still pretty nebulous at this point, or do we know why there's certain connections, maybe even with certain mental states. You mentioned, you know, in Patrick's case, the paranoia. Is that a well-established connection with the uh, CTE?
2: It's an inevitable connection with CTE, and that's the tragedy. And thank you for asking that question. We have this gigantic mental health crisis in this country, and uh, we're learning to acknowledge that, But when we look at the sufferer, the person acting out, we seldom go beyond his immediate symptoms to look for the source of the problem. And we do that when we see some uh, bad actors or some, you know, mass shootings or somebody acting up, we immediately try to find their name and go back and look for a history of repetitive head injury. And 80% of the time we find it. The latest case at UVA, obviously, this young Jones uh, boy played football. He was a ferocious running back, just like Patrick, and he went off the rails. He was on the team for one season at UVA on the football team and ended up shooting several of his fellow football players and a couple of other people uh, this week, and it, it just a complete and total tragedy. Uh, he had been showing symptoms and uh, but there's nobody's connecting the dots back to the repetitive head trauma
1: well these are sobering uh, details Uh, some statistics that I want to make sure I got I'm glad you're not going away Doug we've got a final segment stay tuned Doug Ziegle speaking to us about CTE some final messages of things that can make a difference for you and for those you love we'll be back with our final segment after these important words You are back for our final segment of today's edition of American Indian and Alaska Native Living. Doug Ziegle has been with us from the top of the hour. He is speaking about the epidemic of CTE, chronic traumatic encephalopathy, brain damage that happens slowly, gradually over time, often totally unaware to the individual suffering from it and those who love him or her. Doug, your website. Let's get that out there one more time for folks who are wanting to get more information. How do we uh, jump on that site and get the help you've got?
2: Thanks, David. It's stopcte.org.
1: Okay, so stopcte for chronic traumatic encephalopathy.org. Doug, we've talked earlier about all the resources there. If you're just joining us, just go to the website, explore it, a lot of great stuff for you. Doug, we've got to speak, though, about some other issues that have come up. Um, true story. Some years ago, and I've told this story in other settings, one of my favorite boxing stories. My dad, as a young man, got enticed uh, to go into the ring, and um, he gets hit and has this moment of clarity that he's just going to fall down on the, uh, on the floor and just, just end the match right there. So he uh, decides it's not worth getting pummeled in the ring. He was not a boxer. And so growing up, it was one of my uh, favorite stories, especially as a physician, someone who realized they'd gotten into something, and they said, no, I'm just not going to let my head get hit anymore. Now, he told me that they had oversized gloves, they had headgear. He was a high school student at the time. Should I have reassured my dad and said, Dad, you could have stayed in there with that headgear on and you know those oversized boxing gloves, you would have been perfectly safe? What do you think, Doug?
2: Well, David, you're a doctor, and I think if you knew then what you know now, you could have advised him a little better, and you would have told him that his brain is the consistency of jello in the skull, and with every blow, that jello bounces from the walls, the rough walls of the inside of your skull, and can really distort itself from the inside out. And when you think about a better glove, the gloves were created to protect the the boxer's hands from being broken. It it wasn't really for the head. And that little padding around the side doesn't change the fact that the brain is bouncing around in the skull as those blows are delivered. And we could take that a step further because I had a grandfather tell me, oh, my, my grandson is a great little football player, and I just spent $500. I got him the best helmet. And I said, "Well, that's a shame. You wasted your money, Grandpa, and you should have pulled him off the field. That's the way to save his brain. When given a choice between uh, regular soda and decaf, the best choice is water. We can't. We just can't continue to think that a helmet's going to save us. And again, this is the awareness that we're trying to spread. There's no safe subconcussive blows for your head." And when they're repeated, whether it's cage fighting or boxing or playing a collision sport, that repetitive head trauma is just going to set the stage for this horrible disease.
1: Well, now we've got to put this in another context, because I know there's going to be hundreds, thousands of people listening to this show. They say, well, you know, we're hating on football and hating on boxing and hating on any kind of sport. Some of them are part of their identity. You know, you mentioned right in your own home there, how Patrick grew up. This was part of the family identity. His dad was a football player. And uh, here's the question. The question is, if someone says, hey, this is something we're going to do. There's risk in everything in life. You've already told us we could slip on the ice just uh, living where we live. How about can we talk with people about is there are there riskier times in life? Do we need to be doing something differently with young kids? Do we need to be uh playing non-contact, you know, if someone says, I want to play football in college, but I want to do it as safely as I can. I know there's going to be some risk. Do you have any risk mitigation techniques if someone says, hey, I'm not walking away from the sport that I love or that sustained our family for five generations?
2: Well, first of all, the NFL has taken uh, hitting out of practice almost entirely. The Ivy League schools have taken hitting out of practice entirely. They're hitting dummies, but they're not hitting each other. of the injuries are occurring in practice. Uh, High schools or a lot of the uh, academic institutions haven't picked up on that, and they think they really need to hit each other to develop a good team to win. But let's go back to the child aspect of this. We need to take hitting entirely out when children's brains are developing. From birth until actually the college age, the brain is growing and developing. We're promoting a program called Flag Until 14, where children can play and run and play flag football. That takes the hitting out. They hit the ground, but you know it's minimal compared to tackle football. Play hockey, but take the checking out of hockey. That's being done in the lower grades. Not entirely, but it should be entirely in the lower grades. Uh, take heading out of soccer. That's being done in the lower grades as well. So Maybe we can play these games, if we must play these games, in a much more safe fashion. As long as parents and people understand how fragile the brain is, maybe it'll begin to be treated with a little more respect.
1: I like the balance that you're bringing to the dialogue, because I think a lot of people, they were listening to the beginning of the show, they think, well, you know, there's no option for any of these things. And I think you're making a case, So if you're really, you know, your highest priority is to preserve your brain, I mean, that's probably going to be the best decision you can make. And maybe even that's an understatement. But the point is, um, you're saying, hey, let's be intelligent about this. And having said that, I know as a physician, I've got a master's in public health degree. I'm trained in epidemiology. I know we always hear the stories, hey, but, you know, dad played football from the time he was five, you know, got that scholarship. He went pro. I mean, he's 95 right now. His brain is perfectly clear. And uh, so we like these, uh, we say in epidemiology, the N of one. Uh, That means the number of people in the study is just one. It's no study at all. (laughs) And, And so we say, hey, this doesn't run in my family. But this isn't necessarily something that is familial or not. It's something that the brain, like you've said, you've been making, I think, an eloquent point that it's fragile. And if we think that way, it's likely going to change how we behave. Is that what you're finding in your educational efforts? you find when people catch this message that it actually changes behavior?
2: Yes, indeed, and we're very happy for dad that lived to 95 and smoked, as we are very happy for the football player that played his whole career and isn't loopy. But would you want to expose yourself to this kind of a risk when you finally understand the risk, but it's so difficult to connect the dots? And one of the reasons there's a period, it takes years for CTE to develop. All the seeds are planted during the early years of concussive sports, but the symptoms could show up five years later or two decades later. So it's very hard to connect. Once you get past trying to explain how fragile the brain is, then I think maybe we can work our way back. But if we try to talk about CTE, There's a little disconnect there because life gets in the way and the person's growing up, they're coming out of the army, they're used to a structured environment, now they're on their own, they're fighting with their wife, they're having addiction issues, but they saw bad things in Vietnam. You can see how all of that is conflated together. It's a big toss salad of issues, and we don't connect the dots between the disease itself and the cause. But if we understand what causes it, I think most people would make a decision not to subject their child or themselves to that kind of danger.
1: Doug, I so appreciate what you're doing. You're trying to make a a big difference. I know your whole team there at stopcte.org, at the website and at the foundation. I sure appreciate you uh, pulling away from all the things that uh, place demands on your time and joining us on the show today. We are in the home stretch uh, for today's broadcast. And I want to make sure that you kind of have the last word. Are there some things that you would say that, boy, if we don't mention this or if we don't emphasize this on today's show, we would really be negligent. So, uh, I want to give you that green light at this point.
2: Well, as I said, David, I think, uh, all of our children are born perfect and they have beautiful brains. And, uh, I think our job as parents or citizens or grandparents or community members is to try to do everything we can to make sure that the brain is safe. We confess our ignorance uh, when we were raising our kids, you know, to say that keep their bones from breaking and we're going to have a healthy child. And we used to get our bell rung and just shake it off. Actually, coaches used to tape smelling salts to their lapel Mm. to kind of whiff you back into the game. How many fingers am I holding up? And they'd say four, and the coach would say close enough. He only had two fingers up. But we've got to grow up now and realize that our brains are fragile. And if, if we, if we do nothing, if nothing comes from this show, but, but for people to understand how fragile their brains are, maybe we'll do the right thing.
1: Doug, thank you. Thank you for your passion. Thank you for taking that, uh, that energy from Patrick's tragic story and uh, establishing the Patrick Risha CTE Awareness Foundation. Thank you so much for trying to help me and my listeners better appreciate this topic.
2: Thank you, David. Thanks for having us.
1: One more time, for those of you listening, it is stopcte.org. That is Doug's website, the foundation website. Check it out. For all of us at American Indian and Alaska Native Living, as always, I'm Dr. David DeRose wishing you the very best of health.